Thank you for joining us on another book club. This month, we are tackling one of the books that I think people generally consider to be a modern classic. It partially inspired the show that everyone is talking about right now, WandaVision. Of course, we're talking about Tom King's vision, affectionately referred to as The Visions, by Tom King, Gabriel Hernandez, Walta, uh, Jordi Belair. Uh, there were many contributors uh, to this. The covers were by uh, Mike Del Mundo. Um, tremendous book that I think we're all really excited to talk about. I am joined today by the entire cast of characters. So Pete's here, Marco's here, Phil's here, Kale's here. Surprise, surprise. And uh, we are all very excited to speak today about this book. So before we get started... If you are not a regular listener of the Comics Pals, I want to let you guys know that this is a podcast that we do every single week. Uh, outside of the book clubs, we have a weekly podcast where we talk about comics, we talk about movies, television shows, all that jazz. If it relates to comics, we talk about it. And then once a month, we do one of these, a book club. So this month is Vision. Last month was Civil War. You get the idea. We've got a huge backlog for you guys to check out. So go ahead and do that. You can find us on social media at the Comics Pals. You can write to us at the Comics Pals at gmail.com. And if you're watching this on YouTube, thank you very much. You guys can feel free to subscribe hit the notification bell. Leave us a comment and uh, share this video with your friends. All of those things are free to do and they help us out a lot more than they cost you. Now, with all that out of the way, I want to start off. I think we've all read this before. Is that correct? This is no one's first rodeo. Yeah. Yep. Cool. So before this book came out, were you a fan of the vision? No idea who he was. Um, I think I like Martian Manhunter more. <laughs> okay. Uh, the my first experience with the vision was uh from the uh the old Avengers cartoon from Fox Kids where. Hank Pym was the leader. Did you did you guys ever see that? I don't I don't even yes. yeah, I don't I don't yeah. remember the show. Okay, yeah. It's it's old. Uh but yeah, Vision was in that and I think that was my first experience with him. Okay. Yeah, I um I don't know that I've read anything else with Vision in it that wasn't something that came after this, you know. Or him in like I guess an ensemble thing. He was all right. I didn't have any strong feelings about him. There was obviously the stuff from Disassembled uh, around uh, House of M time. I feel like that was my first exposure to the character. Uh, I also played as the Avenger, as the Vision a lot in Captain America and the Avengers on the Sega Genesis. <laughs> uh, but for the most part, I don't. I never really had a strong affinity toward the character. Yeah, I always liked the Vision. Uh, I, I, my only familiarity with him really was from the video game that Phil just referenced and then the TV show that Kale referenced. Although I, I don't know why, but I rarely ever caught that television show. Um, I do remember it though. It was very but, good. Well, there you go. I was always, why. <laughs> I was always confused as to why vision was like stark white in the video game. Yeah. Right. Mm. I never understood that as a kid. Yeah. I always thought that was weird. It was freaky. Yeah, Exactly. And so a lot of the familiarity that I think a lot of people have with Vision is coming now from this book, from the movies and things like that, where the character has really, really became become a major, 
a major Avenger. And so it's cool to be able to go back to this book now with how big he is and, and, and look at this run as something that really solidified the character and you can go, wow, this is the power of modern comics to influence these movies. Um, and that's, that's something we talk about a lot on the main show. So I want to give a very, very, very brief history because there's a lot of things that are happening in this book. And uh, Tom King does a great job of synthesizing, if you nice. will, nice. a lot of different elements of the vision's history to tell a story that's influenced by those things very directly. And so right here, I actually have the, the, uh, the hardcover. I don't know if you guys can see nice. that too well. Oh. Um, this is the first edition of the vision book that includes all the issues, all the prior uh, collections only included six and then the first six and then the rest. Yeah. So um, on this, it has all of the characters who are related to the family. And so what I'm going to do is just very, very briefly go over the relationship that each one of them has to Vision. The family because tree. I think it's important. Sorry, Phil? The family tree. Exactly. The family tree. So obviously at the top is the progenitor. This is Ant-Man. He's the guy who started it all. Uh, obviously, he created Ultron, who is an evil machine. You remember him, of course, from Age of Ultron. Uh, Ultron created... Two characters. He created Victor Mancha, who you can see there, and he also created the Vision himself. Uh, Wonder Man is created in part from the Vision. Vision, of course, is uh, he dated Scarlet Witch for a long time. Wonder Man and Grim Reaper are brothers, uh, which kind of makes Grim Reaper a brother of the Vision. Um, and then, of course, Vision and Scarlet Witch have two children, Billy and Tommy. Speed and Wiccan, and then Vision created his family in this series. Uh, Virginia, his wife, Vin, his son, Viv, his daughter, and of course, Sparky the dog. Who could forget? <laughs> so, uh, right before this series, Vision had lost his emotion. He lost his ability to feel. And as a person who was very engaged with Marvel at the time, I was super excited to see what it would look like for Vision, who was emotionless, to create a family of his own. And what we got is this series. So no more preamble. Let's jump right into it with this first issue that I think is absolutely phenomenal. Uh, it sets the table very, very well for what we can expect. Even just the first page, this first splash, where we see all these characters together uh, is creepy. And, you know, they're just a regular nuclear family, but they're robots. And that's weird. So how did you guys feel coming into this book about the premise? And what did you expect? Um, I think for me, uh, upon this like second reread, the actually the first page sort of laid down everything really, really strongly for me mm. in, in a way that I hadn't maybe noticed uh, in, in, in a previous reading uh, the way that it sets up you know hey here's here's where we are this is the environment uh, here's where we're sort of the the neighborhood that we're in the art definitely is able to portray a really sort of sense of this like gothic kind of feel with the colors the um, the more 
I guess, scratchy sort of art style. I mean, not scratchy, but it's um, not always as like defined in the background, but the, the foregrounds are always really, really well-defined. And then it sets up this normal sort of looking family, you know, based off text alone, you don't see the, the vision yet, you don't see the family yet. And it sort of lulls you into like this, hey, this is just a normal, ordinary story. And then we get to your page and then the the third page there and it, it pays off. Like the that whole combination I think was really strong and really something that stood out to me in this read that uh, I thought was just uh, worth a shout out. Yeah, I think um, the first issue does a really good job of kind of establishing that tone, you know, and like to answer your question, Sean, I guess, in terms of like <clears throat> the theme and the expectation, what I what I think is is cool about the story is it, it kind of um, it, it plays on uh, a similar vibe to um, oddly enough, like I realized this time Edward Scissorhands. Which mm-hmm. is uh, like a, a story that's like very much about kind of establishing uh, a tone of of small town suburbia, right? And like the kind of taking the comfortable and the familiar, and and doing a little bit in terms of both like set dressing and presentation to make it feel eerie, and to make mm-hmm. it feel a little unnatural. Um, and then obviously you know with um with the visions themselves, it is kind of this like, uh, you know, like a, a serious take on kind of like the, you know, um, like the Adams family, like Munsters kind of bit of like, you know, it's like, Oh, it's this abnormal family trying to live this normal life, except, you know, it's not successful. Right. And you see the veneer crack, but I think what's interesting and what I think, you know, Sean and, and Marco both like connected here, right on these first three pages, it's the establishment that it's not, it isn't going to be that kind of story, right? That it is like more horror than fish out of water, heartwarming type thing. Um, and I think the fact that it's able to establish that tone so quickly and that it, it carries that throughout um, it is, I think, what people connected to in the story. Because, um, <laughs> excuse the pun, I, I think the vision of the story and the pitch of that story is, is strong. Um, and it's, it's executed, uh, you know, strongly throughout for the most part. It's weird. Cause you, um, the question asked me to go back in time four years to, to evaluate what I thought going in, so to speak. So that's when I read it, I read it, uh, pretty much at the end of its, its run in its entirety. And you know what, it was one of those books that had that word of mouth, kind of effect where everyone was talking about how good vision is uh, the vision is and how it's kind of like a central reading one of the best books of the year all that kind of stuff uh as for what i expected conceptually yeah i i don't know i kind of i like going into things blind i like obviously by the cover of of the first uh trade paperback you know it's the family phasing through a door so you kind of right there immediately have an idea that it's a robot family trying to move into um, suburbia at that time i don't think i read anything by tom king maybe i read omega men but you know there was a lot of hype behind that name going in and um you know reading it the first time i I loved it you know 2017 or whatever it you know for for whatever reservations i could have had upon complete uh, upon completion 
certainly there were no reservations. <clears throat> yeah, I felt uh, similar to Phil. I think I, I uh, was hyped on Tom King um, at the time, and and really after reading uh, Hawkeye, Matt Fraction's Hawkeye, so many years ago, uh, I have just been hungry for character-driven stories that set a path that's just off off the regular one um and and um this really checks that box in a in a very certain way um and and the first the first time uh it was great <clears throat> this time i'm a little uh more wary of it but the first time i loved it that's so interesting. I can't wait to dive into your feelings uh, this time around. I I already mentioned before that I was very interested in where Marvel was looking to take the vision, uh, given the state he was in at this time. I actually felt like it was a weird deviation. The idea that he was going to build this family and, and they look super happy, you know, on that first cover. Sure. And of course, little old me, I didn't realize <laughs> what the hell I was in for. Uh, with this book and, and the nightmares that would follow. Um, and and so I, I really want to start talking about the tone because that is this book is very much about tone. This book is very much about the mood and the way it feels. Um, and the things that happen, obviously, are, are, are major points. Um, but I think it's the spaces in between the major moments that really give this book the chill factor. Um, and again, yeah. this first issue, you know, you talk about like something that in any other scenario would be a very, you know, benign event, like your neighbors coming when you first move into to the town to give you cookies. Right. And that's what happens here. Uh, they come to the door, they're introduced to their neighbors and they're they're given cookies and. Robots can't eat cookies. Synthesoids, synth synth whatever they are, can't eat cookies, <laughs> and so they dump them in the trash. Um, and it's it's so funny because, in a way, that's a human experience. Experience, right? Like, have how many times has someone given us a gift that we're like, I don't want this. The hell is this? You know, I'm allergic to this, right? <laughs> or whatever. Or I, you know, I have no use for this. But it's the thought that counts. And this sure. is one of those. This is one of those moments where it's like, what do you give a synthesoid? Cookies, um, and they can't eat them, but they appreciate it anyway. And I love how those that same cookie sheet is what's used uh, here in a few pages to kill the Grim Reaper. Right? Like, it's just, it's just so, it's just so creepy and hor horrific. To that, they even like they even start to discuss and sort of converse about what the action even means and and right. that also helps to set the tone for them as people and how you expect them to interact in the future because they're going oh that was nice of them or that was kind of them and then he cries no that was nice because you know because of what you laid out the, this action may not necessarily be something they need but it's appreciative and how do how does something without emotion process that and feel about a uh, a specific emotion right because how do they deal with that they just have to work through that like step by step logically break it down and be like okay this is what my output um physically should be 
Marco just described as a window into his home life as he tries to robotically explain human emotions to his uh, fiance. <laughs> well, and uh, going off what Sean said, you know, the the pan is used to to kill the Grim Reaper. Well, the pan represents the humanity. It gets, you know, it's the human object that's, you know, uh, passed onto mm. Vision uh, and and his family and his family, which is ideally uh, what he wants them to be is human they use that humanity to kill grim reaper to deprive the humanity from someone else <laughs> sure well it, and it gets broken yeah, yeah. well and I, I think um i think another way that you can like interpret that sim- symbol is kind of to take it back to what sean said right where it is that like the idea of you moving in and your neighbors coming over and bringing you a plate of cookies is like the most mundane normal representation of suburban living um and it immediately then is is mirrored and and echoed in this darker way uh in the same way that we talked about kind of those first few pages do anyway the entire action is kind of cast in that light you can see that retroactively and you can even see that like now that we've you know have read it through and coming back to it you can also see all the major pieces get set up in in like the first couple pages the piano the 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 vase the lighter, the wind, what is it called? The Wingar, Windgrove tree? Uh, like everything. Oh, um, it's the it's from Wondegar is what you're... Yeah. Wondegar. Uh, the ever, Wondegar. Everbloom. Everbloom, yep. right. Uh, like it all is there set up so that way it sprawls out and affects the rest of the the series and their interactions and, and everything. Yeah, it's like a play in that way where like everything mm-hmm. on the stage kind of impacts the story later. What Chekhov's gun, if you will. Yeah. Yeah, right, right. Yeah, and 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 again, you know, this is Tom King really at the height of his powers. Um, this is when he was the most celebrated. There were no, there were no misses on his part. Yep. And if you don't agree that there are misses now, that's perfectly cool. That's fine. But what I'm trying to illustrate is that the conversation changed exactly at at this point in his career, 2015, 2016, he was the golden boy. Um, and you can certainly see why he was viewed that way. Even if you just look at this first issue and you don't read anything else, like Mm -hmm. there is really not, there aren't many examples of first issues that are better than this, Mm -hmm. in my opinion. Um, it sets up its entire story in this one issue. Um, we see that they're immediately struggling to live as humans because they're not human. Um, they can't live as humans, even if they were human. Just the fact that someone like Grim Reaper is in their lives in some way is ex- is an extreme problem. And if they were human, let's say this was like Captain America and the Red Skull came to his house and they had to kill the Red Skull, things would go down completely differently. Mm-hmm. Uh, there wouldn't be this, this cloud of suspicion they wouldn't have to hide the fact that they had to kill the Red Skull. If Captain America killed the Red Skull, more people would probably celebrate it than not. It'd but like the way time. they, right, exactly. The way that they handle the fact that they had to kill the Grim Reaper because she certainly had to. Uh, Virginia certainly had to kill him to protect her family. What she did is a normal thing. Um, the hiding of the of the murder is what is maybe not so normal, especially because. You know, he is a supervillain and they are, in, in a sense, superheroes. 
But because they're trying to live like normal people, this is not normal. This is not acceptable. And she has to hide that. And that sets everything bad about this series in motion in terms of not bad like quality, but bad like how things un- unravel. I think it's an exciting um, incident. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think in addition to that, something that, um, you know, just kind of like, like, you know, looking through the pages of the issue, there's also a lot of really subtle relationship dynamics that are really important throughout the series that are set up here, right? Like the first interaction that we see between uh, Vision and Vivian is that conversation we talked about where they have the debate about the language. And yeah, that's important to establish kind of the tonality of, of them as, as, you know, non-humans discussing how to blend in and all that kind of stuff and how language works and whatever. But it's also illustrative of the power dynamic problem in their relationship, which is something that is echoed throughout the story, right? That like Mm -hmm. vision like does not treat her as an equal. And, you know, maybe, maybe because that's like, you know, not, totally possible right for her to be like she's a few weeks old and all of a sudden you know she's his intellectual equal right but like he constantly talks down to her and there's like there's he has this unavailability to her specifically among his family um that is a thread throughout the story and that's that dynamic is 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 lightly established in the in this first interaction between them right and then the uh the kind of montage of them you know, getting used to life in the neighborhood or the neighborhood getting used to them shows like the kind of it establishes like the personalities of the children in subtle ways. Right. Where it's like the way that Viv is showing off her powers is putting her arms through the, through the door while Vin is power lifting a, a, a piano. Right. And like it, it it's establishing um, a lot of a lot of very subtle things that are going to come to be major themes in the story in ways that like you don't necessarily recognize until it's that second read, right? And you know where things are going to go already. Yeah, absolutely. Um, And I think it's important to keep in mind that Vision has lived quite some time at this point. Uh, You know, he was created in, uh, I believe, 68, something, something along those lines, a long time ago. Um, and in Marvel timeline, he's probably existed for, let's say, conservatively 10 or 15 years. I think that's probably reasonable within the Marvel continuity. And so he's had a lot of experiences. Um, and they really haven't. His family, they, they're, they're new to the world. And they don't know that. They have, I mean, they know it, but to them, they're not. Um, Virginia's memories are... Scarlet Witches in some in some senses. She right. she's she's uh created from the essence of Scarlet Witch or from her brainwaves or whatever. So how can he have how can Vision have a relationship with Virginia that's authentic when she's new and she loves him as if they've known each other forever, but he just met her. Yeah. Right. And that's the dark undertone of this book. And we're going to talk about that a lot is like vision created a family that he can't possibly love the way he wants to, because they're not, they're as real as him, 
but they're not as real as him because their memories aren't real. What they think has happened hasn't happened. Their love for him can't be reciprocated because they love him in a way that he could never love them because they've loved him forever. And, and what I thought was interesting about that is how it's reflected differently between his relationship with his children versus his wife because he's far more available to his children and I think more able to connect with them emotionally, particularly later in the story. Well, because yeah. they, it doesn't have that – they don't have that emotional baggage necessarily as uh, Virginia would. And, yeah, and I, right. I think even to, to just accentuate your, your point, Sean – on page 19 where he wakes up from as in the version that I have uh, when he wakes up from the his like supposed dreaming or sleeping the last panel talks about how like you know it, it says though he tried not to his mind inevitably turned to the person from whom he had taken brainwaves for his wife no he thought push that out it isn't important remember he thought this is my wife I must love her where he's not connecting on it emotionally it's a process again because they're struggling to even understand uh, humanity and its capabilities to even comprehend something like love. Also well, keep in mind what I told you guys earlier, which is that at this point in Marvel story, Vision has lost his emotions. Right. So you can't even feel that. I wanted to uh, clarify that because was it that he totally lost his emotions or that because it says in the beginning he purged the emotions associated with his memories from his hard drive. So is it that he can't feel emotion or that he doesn't have any emotion attached to any of his history prior to who he is now? Like Wanda? Because I know he had a period where he was totally emotionless and they had that in the flashback. I was unclear about that fact. My impression is it's the latter. And that's evidenced by the last issue in the story when I won't say what happens yet, but he cries, which is something that an emotional person would do. My my understanding is that he purged all uh, emotion associated with certain memories, which is like kind of the theme of the story in many ways. Vision's trying to have a new, a fresh start. You know, he's trying to start over. He's in a suburb outside of Arlington, Virginia. Uh, how many people in general would love to just purge all their bad memories from previous experiences, having a fresh go at it? And I think that was my kind of interpretation. No. Okay. Uh, I had always interpreted it as he can't feel. Um, and I, when I, even when I read this book the first time and this time around, because when you look at the Scarlet Witch issue, issue uh, seven, I believe, yeah. um, his face is very expressive and emotive, whereas yeah. you don't really see that throughout the rest of the book. The rest of the book, he's kind of just blank. <laughs> Yeah, um, except for when he's feeling grief later. Uh, I mean, <laughs> this, or, or even anger. Like in the same scene that I brought up, he's he's his face shows worry. That's so true. Like, yeah, this 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 read through this time kind of hit different for me in some ways because I feel like in my own life I kind of did things Vision did, and so like, uh, like you put wanted... emotion from your past relationship. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and I created my own family. And, and it's funny because my impression is the reason why you don't see vision expressing memory is, is like he settled. Like he doesn't mm-hmm. like love Virginia like that. He settled for a wife he created because he wanted to build a construct of life the way he thinks it's supposed to be, but it didn't happen organically because inherently nothing about vision is organic except 
obviously his experiences with Wanda were things that happened organically and that was when he was his happiest. So in trying to recreate these things for himself, you know, these are things you can't force. These are things that you can, you know, conjure. And, you know, this whole story is about the pursuit of happiness and his pursuit uh, is in folly. That, and, and, and sorry, we're like oh, you're good. Sp- spinning out, um, Sean. So like, stop me if anything, but like to, to that piece, every time Virginia remembers stuff, she's always saying or it it always says that she remembers so many things that make her cry and this time around i sort of interpreted that way phil where because she has those relationships and none of that was organic those memories are a lie her emotions are a lie everything about that is false to the point where even when she tries to emote around them they're inherently false and that to her hurts and causes that break that's an yeah. interesting interpretation. Yeah, that is, is interesting. It, I hadn't thought about it that way. Is it is it that they're false or is it that they're not hers? That's how I read it. Yeah. I mean, nevertheless, it's, it's an identity crisis, no matter how you slice it, because they're right. implanted sure. memories. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So I, I took it as they're they're not hers, but because they're not hers, she can't have like she can have that experience, but it's not her. Maybe it's not her experience. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I I kind of took it as like um. That it, it was like, cause, cause there's that comment in the first issue, right, where he's explaining the plant, and and they, it, the caption is how she she falls unusually quiet, but nobody notices. Um, I I t- I kind of took it to to be that she was connecting the fact that Vision was different with Wanda than he is with them in the way that Sean identified. Right. Where there's like a genuine happiness and like warmth in those memories that she's not really feeling from him because she has that love for him, but he doesn't love her back. Um, and I and not to say that he doesn't care about her, but he doesn't he's not in love with her. There's right. A difference. Yeah. Well, but and, and I think that leads on to the sort of horror, or the sort of creepy element about vision and, and this whole thing is that, uh, you know, it's his temperament is one of someone who is desperately trying to feel and trying to look like he feels, but he cannot. And that's what makes the whole thing so off. Well, and what's interesting, right, is like he builds this family and he has this life he wants to have. And then like he clearly becomes uncomfortable with it and starts like brushing it off and ignoring it and allowing things to spiral out of control as they do. That's, there's some there's a lot of interesting things being thrown out i i want to comment on um something that pete just said which was that you know vision so the most mundane thing right about about this is not it's like vision okay sorry so Tom King, as a human being, <laughs> goes off to, to, to war, basically, right? Yeah, right? We know this about him, okay? And a lot of his stories tend to reflect a portion of his reality, um, but also just life in general. Yeah. And this, this book certainly is supposed to make you think about, like, a nuclear family, like a white, you know, suburban life, right? Yeah. And what's more normal than a dude who has this blazing hot passionate love when he's young 
and that falls apart. And then he marries someone and has kids with someone who he just doesn't love that same way. Yeah, he did the thing he was supposed to do in American society. Uh, he got married and he settled down. And as you can, as evidenced by the divorce rates in the United States, you know how many people really get married out of love, and how many people get married out of obligation. Right. And 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 again, Vision is a Vision is an Avenger. Vision is a is a superhero, right? And. You know, it's cool for him to be that, but at the end of the day, right, when Thor goes to Asgard after they're done and, you know, Hawkeye goes off to whoever he's with and, (laughs) like, everyone goes to someone and he goes to no one, you know, and he didn't want that anymore. And he created something that just, you know, doesn't work. And I think in a lot of ways, that is a relatable thing for people. No one wants to admit that, but I think, you know, that is, that is something that, that humans can relate to. It's a real existential problem. I mean, you know, how many how many people watch, like, friends and family get married? It's like, what's the expression? Always a bridesmaid, never a bride. Right, yeah. That kind of thing. Well, and, and I think it also, it speaks to a thing that, like Sean said, a lot of people don't want to acknowledge is that a lot of people will settle because they just don't want to be alone, you know, because like life is hard and like maybe not even necessarily just for like emotional support reasons, but like financial support, like all these like multifaceted things that can keep a family or a couple or whatever together that are totally divorced from love and the idea of love. Sure. I mean, another element of this is kind of, elaborating on a point sean made is you know certainly in western society there's this just been this atomization of culture where a greater emphasis placed on the individual and as a byproduct of that you know there's a breakdown of community and so what you find is just a millions of people are lonely and isolation because you know to find that serendipitous kind of thing to, where you marry in happiness and 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 find this atomic family is truly uncommon, and so you find people marrying to just try to rectify that loneliness they feel. Actually, to that point, uh, in the edition that I have, they included, which is something that I love, the uh, the letters page. Every letter mm. that was printed was included here. And uh, Tom, in the, in the midst of that, is answering a letter or whatever. He's talking about how he was extremely lonely as a kid and how the thing that, more than anything else, that got him through life was comics. And he wanted to speak to that loneliness with this book. And it's evident, not just with Vision, but even as kids. Yes, yes, exactly, absolutely. Think about how Viv holds on so tightly to the idea that that other kid told her that she was cool. Yeah, That's Mm -hmm. the thing that she can't let go of. She keeps replaying that conversation. It's such a sticking point for her that someone would consider her to be cool. Because otherwise, she's lonely. She has no one. Yeah, Marco's been doing the same thing with me for four years. I told him I thought he was cool in 2016 or so. Marco's been holding on to that for five years. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> dude. Like, I, you just need that validation sometimes. Like, how else do I get through the day? I mean, I just replay that sound. Because <laughs> you're well, over. Let's shift gears. I, I want to sure. ask you guys a question about Virginia. So 
The inciting incident of this story, as we already discussed, is her murdering Grim Reaper. Why does she do that? Or rather, why does she, not why does she do it, why does she lie about it? So I think, to something that you had said earlier, I I disagreed with, I think this is human. This is something where she runs through everything and goes, okay, if I am truthful as a normal person would be, because of the situation I'm in, that she's examined, we get thrown under the bus. Everything that, what is she supposed to love about her husband gets put on pause, put on hold. It affects something more than just her. It affects her family. And at that point, the most human thing to do is pre- preservation, not just of yourself, but of your your of, of your children, of the, the person that you live with. So for me, she lies about it because it's the only human thing that you can do it's the it's what anybody else would do in the situation that they're in knowing that you have the capability to do so yeah why do why do why do people lie that aren't pathological liars they do it to kind of maintain a, a, a the normalcy of things and what she does is she doesn't just lie she peppers in truths you know yes. she yes. says grim reaper did come you know we did have an altercation but he left that's where the lie comes in. And she does all this because doing otherwise would compromise that family structure. Mm-hmm. There, there, it, that stability is no longer stable when the you know, terrible atrocity that was committed is now in the open. Right. Cause it's like you, you put it in the context too, right. Of like, this is day one, right? Like this is the, this is their first day in the new home. And like yeah. the best case scenario, if, if this comes to light is that, that's disrupted and they have to move or whatever. And like, you have to start all over again, you know? Um, so I, yeah, I, I think it is that fight or flight thing. A better analogy, I think is just an example of like older families that put so much emphasis on the structure and stability of a family. Like when one of the spouses did unspeakable things, like, you know, have multiple marital affairs or things like mm-hmm. that. And the other spouse looks the other way because recognizing it or confronting it risk this is stability of the relationship or the family or whatever for x y or z reasons right like let's do it for the kids sort of situation sure mm-hmm. okay uh right, what yeah. do you think i i i tend to agree um and i think the book says that without saying that yeah um because there is, there are conversations about doing whatever you have that human beings do whatever they have to do um and i think in this case she felt that was what she had to do um to preserve the family like like what you guys pointed out so um i just wanted to refer back to that to make to, to add some clarity uh to it um then things seem like they're gonna be okay for the most part it's like all right well that was bad but it's not the end of the world um and then of course she gets this phone and now this is something that's going to be hung over her head and we see again that virginia is the one who's willing to do anything to preserve the family she's she's willing to go to this guy's house who's blackmailing her who all he wants is for her to leave all he wants is for the family to leave and she's uncompromising and she's willing to do whatever it takes. And so she kills this guy. Yeah. So that's a, a murderer. 
waltz it twice or thrice over depending on how you look at it so that's ultimately the thing that's the least human part about her right there's you know, as humans, we have this unspoken contract of this respecting the sanctity of one another's lives. You know, there's these thresholds we don't cross. You know, the basic, like, we don't harm one another like that. Because at the very least, we can recognize that, you know, what it would be like if we died. Like, everyone understands that kind of situation. But the type of people who kill people like that, you know, serial killers, murderers, what have you, that they, they, there's like a lack of empathy or or what have you in that person like they're they're like a total sociopath who can't make that connection between like their actions and 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 how serious they are like no one wants to take a life it's a sin to kill a mockingbird that kind of thing you know she doesn't have that well what's interesting about that right is that like she's not one i just want to make this point i'll let you jump in there cal it's like she's not a person yeah. You know, it's yeah. like she cuz I don't think it's that she is coldly removed from her actions. I think it's that uh Marco made this point earlier, right? Like she's thinking like a computer. Mm-hmm. Um there's a problem and there are a certain subset of outcomes and it's her you know, biological, you know, non-biological imperative to choose the one that is most likely to secure a safe future for her and her children. Because, like, you know, um, Sean said, right? Like, her whole thing is protecting the family. Look at this first issue. What is Virginia's whole life? It's her family. She's the only one who has nothing else. Like, yeah. the kids are are isolated in that they are outsiders, but they have each other. And they have the promise of making relationships and connections at school. They have the, the, the promise of being accepted by a broader community. She doesn't have that. That at all. And Vision has his life as an Avenger. He has friends. He has a whole thing outside of the family that if the family disappears, he has a life he can slip back into. She's she, nobody without them. She, she's a classic stay-at-home mom. Her, her job is to preserve the family. Right. Kel, what were you going to say? I, I want to disagree with Phil's point. I, I, I don't see her as, you know, a, 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 you know, a, a sociopathic serial killer yeah, type of you know, character. I think, I think it's closer to what Marco says, you know, that she, she, you know, yes, she is a computer and she runs through the scenario, but like you say, she, she's the matriarch. She has to preserve the family in this confrontation. What she says is that they belong here. Belonging isn't a robot thing. It's a human thing. Mm-hmm. To sorry, John. Uh, I was just going to say that, and Phil, you can correct me if I'm wrong. I don't think that Phil was saying that she's a sociopath. I think he was connecting the sociopathic disconnect from the actions of murder with her, with her decision-making in the sense that for her killing someone is not this big thing, like a regular human would feel about it. It's, this is what I have to do to protect my family and so for for me it's no different than anything else i would do there's no human part of her that's saying i can't do this because it's wrong her whole breakdown later in the story is more revolved around the 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 falling apart of her family so just just to push back on on that on that same point uh, she later comments that 
she hardened her fist enough just to put him not to kill him because she she recognized that that's not hmm. the inappropriate outcome, but enough so that he'll be in a coma forever. Yeah, <laughs> yeah which like to to what degree does that matter? But yeah. but I think she still because she is a computer relayed the human relayed the human action, but was able to process it because she used that computer. Like she's still, in my opinion moving forward as a human would because she's still taking it to any whatever extreme and recognizing where to hold back because she has the capability to do so and and it's also like you know she it it's that thing of like you know she lied once and has to cover it up but she got caught in that lie so she's having to cover it up again yeah and it escalates they say it's easier to do it a second time like once you do something once it's easier to do it multiple times or whatever, sure. whether, whether it's a lie or even murder. Also, uh, to I guess to put a period on that sentence, right? Like, she doesn't show no remorse for the crime, right? She <laughs> unravels, and sure, it's related to the dis, uh, you know, the falling apart of her family, but it's also living with the lie and you know, all of all of that stress associated, which is something that you know, she wouldn't be going through if she felt nothing about it. Mm. Easier, sure, but. She's a machine. It's the Lady Macbeth uh, scenario. You know, sure. She, you know, calls Macbeth an asshole and a coward and, you know, and goes off and tries to get him to, you know, commit murder. And then when he does and it's on their hands, you know, she's all out damn spot about it and, you know, goes off and offs herself. I really enjoy the portion of... Um issue i want to find the issue number uh it's the it's the portion where they're recant they're recounting all of the times the 37 times that vision has saved the world uh Mm -hmm. five um and they give you this rundown they count every single time according to this book that vision uh saved the world and we've talked so 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 many times on various book clubs about um, you know, righteous killing. And Vision is a character who, like the Uncanny X-Force characters when we did that book club, uh, has saved the world countless times. And so would it really be... Is it so horrible for him to have taken this life? Now, mind you, he didn't do it, but he's being suspected of, ki- of, of, of killing um, this, this man. And going back, the Grim Reaper. So would it really be so horrible for him to have committed this one act when you weigh it against all of the the good that he's brought into the world? And that's I'm not sure if that's what Tom King was trying to get us to think about, but I know that that's where my mind went and that's where my mind always goes. Um, and so... I want to know, do you? what do you guys think about it? Because I said earlier, right, if Captain America killed the Red Skull, no one would care. In this series, Virginia kills the Grim Reaper. She hides it. Uh, Vision finds out about the reality of what happened. He still chooses to hide it. Yeah. Um, do you guys think that him making that decision is um, like irrevocably, irrevocably bad weighed against keeping in mind weighed against everything good that he's ever done 
it's kind of like the trolley problem thing, right? Where he changes the tracks and saves all the people, but yeah, you know, one person died because of his own actions. So I would say no, it's not an irredeemable action. I understand why he makes that choice. I understand why she makes that choice, right? Um, it's out of fear uh, of a very real prejudice against them because they're not human. And I I do think that Tom is trying to make us think that, but and I I, I personally kind of took it in, in a multi-layered thing where I think it's the in-universe commentary is that kind of like, you know, it, it's it's this idea that like no matter how much good you do once there's blood on your hands, there's blood on your hands. And that feels slightly motivated by like Tom's, you know, military experience. And, and I I actually noted when I was taking notes on the series during my reread, that that was an example I really liked of how he leveraged his service and, and some of his real life experience in a way that felt more subtle. Um, But I also think that, uh, you know, the, the, in universe commentary there is kind of to me more about like for you're right for captain America it would be different. If captain America killed somebody that was a villain, it would be seen as well. He had to come in. He had no choice. It's fine. If vision does it all of a sudden, everybody looks at vision very differently because vision is no matter how many times he saves the world, no matter, no matter the fact that he falls in love or wants to have a family or no matter how much he wants to be a person, people will not see him as a person. Saying this, I part of me one. Uh, this is a non sequitur, but part of me wonders if people have been like, "Oh, we should have heard the Red Skull out in the climate of today's world." <laughs> wow, Captain America just kills everybody he disagrees with. Cool. Yeah. You know, Thanos had some really good points. <laughs> I don't think Thor should have just gone after him like that. <laughs> um. Yeah. So. I, I really like that, Pete. That, that was a great point. Um, there, This time around, I don't know that I felt it the first time, but this time around, I thought a lot about race as I was reading this. Yeah. yeah. And I wanted to bring that to the table because the, the idea of moving into a new town and, you know, you being, you know, a minority of some kind or, you know, what have you, and people, you know being uncomfortable around you. Um, Even the question of like, forget about the fact that it was murder, right? Like Grim Reaper was murdered. Put that to the side. The idea that you do something that anyone else would do and no one would question it. But when you do it, it causes people to um, look at you strangely or think about your actions differently than they normally would. All of those things were playing through my mind as I was reading this. Totally. And I don't know, again, if Tom, if that was something that Tom was trying to inject but that that otherness i think is something that he was definitely trying to inject yeah i think he was i really do because like i look at issue number six and there's the the sequence where uh the neighbor's dog dies and it's it's the creation of sparky and and specifically there's the page it's after he's connected the brain and everything uh well i guess it's on that page too right And, and he says um the people who do not understand what we are trying to accomplish, or rather those that do not understand that we are not attempting to accomplish anything. We are just, we just are. And I, I, when I was reading this, the first thing like that, that page, it made me think of, uh, Superman smashes the clan. And like, that was the narrative in that story where it was like the, um, I forget the name of the, the family, but, 
um, you know, the the Asian American or no, they're they're immigrants. Uh, the immigrants who move to this DC suburb, right? Who Superman gets to know, uh, they like are treated by a lot of their neighbors as if like they have some sort of agenda or that like they're spies or there's some like nefarious fucking you know they're gonna ruin fucking white culture or whatever right this fucking whatever bullshit and like they're just they move there because he got a job like they're just trying to establish a life here and like be like everybody else and like i do feel like that was an intentional thing drawn that like i don't feel like i picked up on the first time but it like rung very true to me now yeah there's there's a real world example i was i was um I was listening to a podcast about Levittown, which is famously the first suburb, right? You know, uh, built on Long Island, one in Pennsylvania. And in sometime in the 50s, a black family moved to the one in Pennsylvania. And a lot of the stuff that that family went through is not dissimilar to what the Vision family went through here, where, you know, people would gather in droves outside of the house not even necessarily doing anything violent at first, just gawking. Like, you know, it's a complete disruption of society that this black family's moved in. And, you know, it's, it's funny. Uh, Virginia's role in this made me think of uh, the black wife in that. Fa- I feel bad for not remembering the name of the family, but like, it was just like having to put up with the, the abuse of everyone. She didn't obviously didn't kill anyone, but it's just like example of this, the amount of stress you're put under when, you know, you're trying to assimilate with like a different society. Well, and like the way that Vision talks to the family about it too, where like the kids are expressing that everybody hates them at school and he's like, oh, how can they hate you? They don't know you. How can they hate what they don't know? Yeah. All you have to do, they, they hate the idea of you. All you have to do is show them that you're not the idea. Like that felt like such a pointed commentary on like what you're talking about and like that idea of assimilation. Well, and to, to go off of that, issue five, uh the beginning of it the first uh five pages mm. is a, a a monologue from uh some shakespeare thing yes. and uh, page 3 is uh virginia over uh the the guy she put in a coma and it says i am a jew yeah, and yes. it's that Power. famous. If you prick me, do do we not bleed? Yeah, that yeah, thing. yeah. That that was gonna be where like I felt the the example was most poignant, and also yeah. in, I think in that same issue, they have the um where the kids put the the spray paint outside because from yeah. So so when when my parents moved into one of the the neighborhoods in in Queens, like my dad got a, he got like a nice job, he was getting better money, so they decided. You know, we're gonna start a family. Let's move into this uh, suburban town away from the the city and stuff. And the people, so we had a backyard. The people in the home across from us from that backyard. Previously, there was like a like a an, an older couple that was living. They passed away. So when we moved in, they actually built up uh, new fences as we moved in because um, it was we were the only like new people new people on that on that block it was a dead end block most of the people were older kind of knew each other and we moved in and immediately like the fence went up a fence on the side and like uh, another fence and the uh, on the opposite side so like we got basically our our little house got fenced in um 
So like totally that that to me felt much more poignant this time around where it's like, oh yeah, you move into the neighborhood and like people react in a certain way and like will express it in a certain way. Um, but to the 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 other issue where um, he's where Vision is building the dog, I think I sort of took it from the uh, at face value from the name of the issue P versus NP. Like, mm. is there is there an algorithm that can be built in order to solve what life is and what normalcy is? And so he was trying to solve that with a dog, and he was trying to introduce that to build a normalcy for the family because that's the best proxy to an algorithm that you can break, that you can make to bring you from NP to P. Mm -hmm. Nice. Yeah, absolutely. That is, yeah, I hadn't thought about that. That's, that's really smart. Good observation. And there's a lot of like things are on the nose here. There's obviously the part where I think it's, it's Vin where uh, another kid writes on a, like piece of paper. Are you, you oh. uh, are you normal? Oh, it's that girl. Yeah. She shows him her laptop. Yeah. So. Kind of as cool as a fucking laptop. <laughs> Dude, they say it's like the best of the best. It's like a bougie oh, school. Actually, you got to get yeah. it. It's like a charter school, some shit. Yeah. Vision's like an advisor for the president. He's sending his kids <laughs> to some fucking bougie school. His kids are going to Yale. All right. <laughs> so I want to move forward to what might have been my favorite or second favorite uh, issue of the series so far, which is uh, the seventh. Uh, mm. I too shall be saved by love. This is the issue that introduces to the physical uh, character who has haunted and hung over this series the entire time, Scarlet Witch. Yeah. Um, it's my favorite cover of the series for sure. Yeah. Yeah. It's a tremendous cover as well. Incredible work. Um it, it this this issue is very strong it, it it shows us because a lot of people who are reading comics now people that are our age probably never really got to see much of the vision and scarlet witch's relationship um that's really something that's before our time and so this issue does a tremendous job of showing their relationship but showing how showing the parts that influenced the story that we're reading um, because you can see how a lot of conversations that Vision has with her, like the night, I believe it's the nice versus kind conversation. Isn't that something that gets replicated here? Uh, I, I know there was, there was some point at which that conversation was. Um, it's the, it's when she gives him the gift of her brainwaves. It's the meaningless gesture. Right. Right. Yeah, exactly. Um, and them sneaking kisses during the, the battle. Yeah. You know, such a like romantic thing. It's kind of what I referenced earlier, the person who you're with that there's this blazing passion for. You know, they they couldn't keep their hands off each other in the heat of a battle um in which they were needed. You know, that's how in love they were with each other. And kind of seeing how that all falls apart, uh you know, there, there a lot of people listening, you might not know this, but at some point, uh, Vision was actually destroyed. Uh, and when he was brought back, he was brought back um, without his memories. He has no he had no memories, no connection to any humanity or anything like that. No emotion. That's when he's the stark white vision. Uh, fun fact, he was originally supposed to look like that. 
That was the initial oh, really? idea. Yeah. Cool. Um, and they couldn't do it because it would have looked really bad on the paper that they had to work yeah. with and the colors of the time. <laughs> um, but they actually were able to finally do that later on down the road. So this issue is so haunting and you can see how like the creation of the two kids, the twins vision creates his own twins. You know, it doesn't work back then the same way it doesn't work now. And this issue really helps you understand where vision is coming from throughout the rest of the series. You know what the most haunting page in that entire issue is to me is the last page of that issue when he's in bed with Virginia and he's doing the same joke uh, yeah. he did with, with Wanda. Right. And there's obviously no chemistry. Yeah. yeah. Yep. Exactly. And uh, I, I wanted to, to point out uh, this issue is the only issue that's drawn by someone other than uh, Gabriel Hernandez Walter. This is uh, Michael Walsh. Who drew this issue? And he, yeah, he did an absolutely tremendous job here. Um, he, his, his Scarlet Witch and Vision, he's able to transition them from, you know, having this beautiful life. They look so happy, so passionately in love with each other. Um, and Scarlet Witch looks so great. The panel where she's like walking towards Vision so that he can uh, do the clasp. You know, Vision's face, he looks so happy. And then you, you you go just a couple of pages down the road and, you know, they're miserable. They're fighting. Vision has no emotion on his face. He's stark white. And then you get that 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 panel uh, where she looks like he does, where she's like, yeah. you know, yeah. white, white out. Um, but she's horrified by the fact that, you know, their relationship has fallen apart. It's such a heartbreaking issue. Uh. Uh, this uh, this is probably my second favorite issue as well. It might be my favorite. What I like about this one is um, it obviously really serves the rest of the story well. But this is like this works as an individual issue. Like if you yeah. took this out from the rest of the story and gave it to somebody, you could get the entire narrative that you're supposed to take away from it. And I also feel like. Um, to comment on the art, Sean, you always like to bring out that that point, right? Of like, if you could take away the words, like, would this would this issue still work? And I think maybe some of the context would be lost on you, but the biggest emotional moments that you just laid out would all work. Because if you look at the difference between the first page of like them clearly having had sex for the first time, even if there's no dialogue, right? Like, to what it looks like when they're, you know, married and having that fight. Right. Like even if you don't know all of the supernatural context, you can take the here's the warmth and intimacy and, you know, magic electricity of the early part of a of a relationship and then the decay. And, you know, and even like that middle part where they're with their family and they're having drinks and they're stable. And, you know, like you can feel how that tone changes so much in the art. Yeah. yeah. And you know what? To, to his credit. This really is Tom at his, at his peak, you know, something that he's kind of fallen into this level in recent years of just filling panels with dialogue and bubbles and stuff like that. In this book, there everything is essential, you know, no wasted dialogue. And, and when you have everything so precious like that, 
it lets certain lines of dialogue really stand out. And in this issue, that's no exception. I think of one of the last lines of dialogue when he's the all white vision and he has to, you know, talk to Wanda and, and, and those children. And Wanda says to him, what's wrong with you? You used to be so kind. And there's that word again, kind. Mm. And vision says, is the truth not kind? That just, you know, that's a, that, that, that resonates. I think to, to what, not to get too far away from like the paneling aspect that you mentioned, it, I think also what helps to communicate a lot of what's going on so well and effectively is the minimal use of, of large splashy panels. It's very yeah. organized. It kind of reminds me, um, uh, Sean and Kale, I think it would, um, was it Alex and Ada? Yeah. Ah, uh, yes. Uh, or maybe that was Phil. Um, it was me. Okay. Uh, but, but like that, how it's kept cleanly in a way to, to evoke a very easy to understand sense of motion and, and pacing that helps to not get him at, like feel as wordy as he sometimes might be like, in, like mm -hmm. now let's say, or things that aren't, you know, essential to the story necessarily. Yeah. I think, I think what was good about this, and I, I noted this in my notes as well, was that like the... I think the difference is the parts where he's verbose or where he's like, you know, being a little self-indulgent are in the captions or, and they're, they're leveraged for humor. Um, like I, I remember calling this out. I was making fun of it a little bit when I was reading it. Uh, and Sarah was sitting in the room where there's, I think it's in the first issue where he's like, time passes as it does. And I'm like, you could just show me, I would know that time had passed. That's okay. You know, but like it, it's, it's meant to evoke a tone and a, and a, a vibe and it's it's played for effect and it feels like a style not like a bad habit you yeah, know that's a good point so now that the scarlet witch of it all is clearly established and again like if you're wondering why he creates you know twins this issue explains a, a very good reason why he might have done that um and it, and it introduces her and her importance into the book in a major way for those who are not familiar. My favorite issue of the book is actually issue nine. The one prior introduces Victor Mancha, who is, for all intents and purposes, Vision's brother. Uh, he is created by Ultron. Um, and, you know, he's got this... this destiny to be a supervillain uh to kill the avengers and he doesn't want to lean into that he wants to lean into uh to being a hero and in a lot of ways i found victor mancha to be the most compelling character in this series and also the closest to vision in terms of like he reminded me a lot of what vision could have been uh or what he could be if things were to go differently and so issue eight introduces him and everyone is so happy that he's here. And again, it's a very normal thing. Uncle Victor comes, you know, yeah. and it's this great thing that he's here and the kids are so happy and it feels like we're finally getting back to that normalcy that everyone has been craving. But because they are synthesoids and not humans, things cannot be normal. And the story of Victor Mancha uh, and the, the happiness of him being there starts to unravel. 
as Vin learns that he's actually here um, on a mission to the Avengers. He's he's investigating what is going on with the Vision because the Avengers recognize due to Agatha Harkness, who we see uh, earlier on has actually eaten a, a, a petal from the Wonder from the Wonder Gore leaf, the Everbloom. Um, she sees the future. She sees that Vision is going to kill everybody. And she warns the Avengers and they send in Victor Mancha. And issue nine shows us how he's gotten to this point. And we see that he's essentially a drug addict. Um, he's addicted to vibranium. Um, and being with it makes him, I guess, feel, I, I don't know. Sorry? Vibrate. Well, the w- the way that I was taking it was that it, w- it was kind of like um, like steroids almost, where it was like because there's that bit where uh, Tom is establishing how he has this worry that he's going to be evil, so he fights and fights and fights, and, and he's trying to prove that he's a hero or whatever, and it seems like that's taking it out of him, and he starts using the um, the vibranium that he gets from you know the other member of the Runaways, who I forget the name of Chase Chase. Uh, because it's supposed to be uh, basically like easing the stress on his body that he's that he's going through by working so hard and and fighting so much and, and trying to prove himself. Um, so I kind of got that vibe from it that it it was like you know he was like juicing basically. Hmm. I I got probably the exact opposite that it was actually helping him be. It it, it says that uh, it helps the machines rest. Yeah, like he's coping with it. Yeah, that's I guess that's a that's what kind of like what I mean. Like, not that he's like getting stronger with it, but that like he's like relying on it as a crutch to be able to operate at the level he's at, and that's where like the stress is coming from with it too. Because not only is he addicted to it, that he doesn't have it, he can't do as well. Yeah, uncles, am I right? <laughs> Shit. So, <laughs> Marco, what's up, dude? <laughs> is your uncle okay? Let's trade some stories, bro. (laughs) Something that this issue shows that none of the other ones do, but you can relate to Vision, even though it's not explicitly stated, is that when Victor is done with a mission, he's just sitting around. He doesn't have anything. Right. Mm -hmm. And he's just waiting for the next call. His His life revolves around being a hero. He's waiting for the Avengers to come and to, to, to need him. Uh, it, it says, uh, after Avengers AI was disbanded, Victor took Claw's hand home and waited for the next great adventure. After a month, the hand stopped working, and Victor sat in his house motionless, holding the inert metal. He was still waiting there when the Avengers arrived at his door. Mm. So think about all of the times that a mission has ended for the Avengers, right? What did Vision do? The same way Victor Mancha just sits here waiting because he's got nothing else going on. What did Vision do? You know, um, Victor Mancha finds solace in the fact that at least he's an Avenger, but now he's also addicted to this to, to vibranium, and the lack of a life coupled with his addiction and this mission that he's obsessed with achieving because he has nothing else, just like Vision. Leads him to doing something awful, yeah. By mistake, um, he he kills Vin, 
Yeah. Law and that of, was the heartbreaker. It? The law of unintended consequences. What is the law of unintended consequences? You do something with good conscience and something else happens. Mm. Road to hell. As it yep. There you go. Yes, absolutely. What did you guys feel about this turn of events? <sighs> I found him to be such a sympathetic character. Like, you, like you said, show. yeah, I, I, I don't, I don't know that I'd agree that he was like the most compelling, but like he, I, I think mean, he is among the most tragic for sure. Yeah. Um, because like his entire, his entire thing is, is like about motivate. His entire motivation is to be good, you know, is, is to not end up being, uh, Ultron. Yeah. Right. Um, and and like you said, that leads to, to this this unsustainable lifestyle and this like crippling isolation that, like you said as well earlier, Sean, like you see in this issue that like the solution is right there, right? Like he has a family, like he has a he has a brother, he has a niece and a nephew, and they love him and they want him there, and like that could be his life, but you know, he like he's so wrapped up in you know, the pursuit of, you know, he, he makes a comment about how, oh, of course, like the life of an Avenger, that must be a good life, right? Like he's so wrapped up in this pursuit of who he wants to be or who he thinks he's supposed to be and, and, and drugs, right? This analog for, for his addiction that like he throws away the very thing that like could have been his own salvation, which is just so... And it's compounded by the the fact that it's a tragedy because it's the loss of this this young life who's a un unlimited massive potential, you know. It's, I think it's also sorry. I, I think it's also like ironic that he's also not red. He's not as robotic looking. He looks like a normal person. He could very well pursue his own <clears throat> his own things, but he chooses not to. You choose your family, and he chooses to ignore them. And the only time he interacts with them to this capacity where he actually tries to build relationships with them, it's, uh, it's, it's under like a pretense that yeah. it's not as genuine. Um, and, and it, it becomes tragic. Uh, I agree, Pete, because it looks like he's actually forming these bonds with, with Viv, with Vin. Uh, he, asked him about like does that thing about um you know you can't be doing it so loud or whatever and he's like he's you know <laughs> quoting shakespeare and stuff and it, i just really like shakespeare yeah he's like, it's okay bud like we all like shakespeare um and and you know you feel that and then this issue and it, and it just it it gives him a rise and makes it such a strong fall that mm. it's compelling yeah the story of Victor Mancha, Mancha is like um, kind of reminds me of Oedipus, uh, the Sophocles story in Greek literature. Where he was like uh, born to kill his father and uh, marry his mother. That whole story, and uh, with 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 Victor, you know, he's spending his whole life trying not to be like Ultron, and he ends up fulfilling this prophecy of of doing something villainous, obviously inadvertently, but. You know, he fulfills his destiny, basically. So, Victor Mancha is a character who originated in The Runaways. Mm. And The Runaways, if I remember correctly, are all the sons and daughters, the children of villains, villains yeah. in yeah. some shape or form. Yeah. 
vision is also that vision yeah. is the son of Ultron. And when I read this, I thought a lot about, you know, the sins of the father, that idea, right? And the idea of children will always have to deal with the, the things that their parents do that they think their kids don't know about or the things that their parents do that unfortunately are passed down to their children. And what's so interesting about the Runaways is them trying to fight against this, you know, legacy that exists for them. And when you look at this, this, this family, right, this family tree that I showed earlier, uh, it starts bad. It's, it's, it starts bad. Uh, Ant-Man had good intentions for creating Ultron, but he also was beating his wife. Yeah. Right. Good legitimately i was gonna make that joke because i thought you were gonna say he had good intentions creating ultron and then ultron was evil and then i was gonna say oh but ant-man also beat his wife and you <laughs> went there <laughs> well because because i think that even that right like that shows what ant-man's mental state was like yeah, and that yeah, in some form or fashion that probably infected ultron there's violence so in the a, dna right exactly and so in a way it's it, Ultron is almost sympathetic because all of these things pass down and maybe people on this panel can relate to that. I can, and maybe you guys listening at home can relate to that. The idea that what your parents do will be something that you have to deal with. And in this series, yes, vision is infected by that he, vision and Victor Mancha both are infected by the evil things that Ultron does. The fact that he created them both for evil. Um, the fact that, you know, their their destinies are are evil and it leads Victor down a dark road, his fight against that. Similarly, Vin and Viv have to suffer because of what Virginia does, because of her decision to kill Grim Reaper. Uh, all of the, the bad that they encounter, the ways that they're changed, how Vin choked out that kid, uh, how Viv... Uh, is, is is screwed up um, and because of, of what was chosen by their parents, something that they had nothing to do with. Yeah. A good thing, theoretically, that she chose to do, ruined them. I don't have a question there. Yeah. I just have to say that. <laughs> yeah. No, it's, I, think it, I think it just speaks to why this book works. The humanity of it all. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's very human and there there are dynamics that are relatable and and that are that are broad enough that I think they apply to a wide range of situations right where you said you can you know the the thing that you're personally referencing that you got out of the Sean is different than like the same thing that affected me that gave me the same takeaway though right, right. it's cuz it's about family yeah exactly um what did you guys make of the the scene in the next issue where uh, Vision and Viv pray? I'm glad you asked because issue ten is my favorite issue. Okay. Very good. Speak to it. Uh, that that issue that moment, and then uh, the the moment that Vision has um, where he goes into to Vin's bedroom and and watches this memory of him that cat's cradle moment, right? I think that those are the two. I think those are two of, or maybe the two best moments in the book. 
Yeah. Um, they're extremely emotional. And I think they, it's another example of, of Tom using his personal experience in a way that's subtle uh, because it is that idea that, you know, we talked about, right? Vision creates his family and he neglects it. And it's not until it's too late for him to be there for his son that he realizes that. And that puts a profound amount of guilt on him and, that, and he feels that loss. But it also allows him to actually have a relationship with his daughter. And that is really, really human too. The idea that like loss can bring us together, you know, and that like, you know, how, how often you don't realize how uh, special something is or how important someone is to you until it's too late and that you don't get those opportunities back, right? You only get one chance to be a father and, you know, he consistently chose the analog for his work over his family, right? And and there was a cost to that, and it was that he never had a relationship with his son, and he never will. And his son felt that and knew that, and he knows that he felt that, and he can't do anything about it. I had a, I had a friend who, when this was coming out, he had been reading it, and he had texted me one day like about this issue specifically, and he said that like he at that point he had had a two-year-old a three-year-old son and he said he read this and he wept because he's like up and up until this point there have been moments where i've done that and what does that say for the the years to come for me right what what else am i gonna miss because of something that i didn't mean to happen or because of something that you know is out of my control um so yeah, the, I agree. This is one of the most emotional aspects of it. The praying piece, I think, was it. It becomes a very human thing to sort of wish the best for those who have passed on, and I think mourning is something that people do differently, and depending on to what extent you believe, it also helps to bring some semblance of peace for you as well. So I think that when when they were, when Viv and Vision were praying, it was a way for them to reflect on their own mortality from a human perspective when whether or not they could even have that. Well, yeah. I mean, praying is a human thing to do. And even in the things that Finn is trying to say to his father, when he's quoting the, the 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 merchant of Venice, you know he says, "When he is best, he is little worse than a man. And when he is worst, he is little better than a beast." And is like again, it reflects this very nature of humanity. And all you can do as a person when you lose control of everything is pray. If I remember correctly, uh, uh, that's those two phrases separated are the names of the separate pieces of the yeah yeah the way this was released originally the trades Mm, yeah mm. uh so in that prayer scene if you take if at least the way i took it uh if you take that scene alongside the scene in which he's speaking to virginia about luck and how luck is not a thing but still wish it anyway yeah 
I took the prayer as him. He probably doesn't believe that this is a thing. The same way, like it's meaningless, but it's meaningful anyway, kind of thing. Like, yeah, that's how I took that scene. I think both of those scenes uh, do a really good job of like kind of checking back in with those themes because there's mm-hmm. that theme. And then I think with Vin, it's it's kind of a a melancholic look on that. There's always tomorrow. But yeah. then also him saying like tomorrow's not guaranteed. Right. And like that changes in him because of Scarlet Witch. Like it, it all it's it's like Star Wars. It rhymes. You know, it's good. <laughs> yeah, that's right. And then. regarding this issue the last thing i wanted to point out was you know now it's 2021 and tom king has done a lot of work since then connect the scene in which he's looking at his son and his son says to him you know uh he, he reads the passage and he says well father what do you think is it good am i good and he says i'm sorry i could not listen connect that to strange adventures and where we're at with strange adventures, his daughter is, has just expressed to him, you know, how much she loves him and she wants to go with him away. And he has this like far away glare and he's like, I love you too. And it's like, Whoa, you know, um, Tom has a tendency to repeat themes. And that's something that has, you know, worn on some people over the years. But I think for me, at least I definitely connected these two, these two scenes five years removed. When it lands, it lands, and in both cases, it landed hard. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, I, I think I think it speaks to what is um, satisfying about his writing when it does land is that he does a good job of establishing uh, mysteries like this and and creating you know these physical things that we that can kind of ground us through the story. But like, I think what really makes it stand out is that like he's willing to go there. You know, and he's willing to be vulnerable about, um, you know, if if we do take these things at face value to be like, you know, being pulled from his experience or things that he's grappled with, like to being willing to go to some really dark places and and be vulnerable about, um, you know, his his shortcomings as a person and a father and a, you know, a lot of a lot of things, you know, and and like that's the root of all great art right is like is earnesty and like this book is very earnest you know and i think this issue to me is is the most personal and the most uh quiet and human at least when it comes to you know the negative side of things right i think the positive you kind of see in in issue seven (laughs) yeah you wanna if you want to see how well that moment lands to uh the comparison that sean made that's the episode, a review spinoff of episode 223. It's the X-Men number 17 and Strange Adventures number eight <laughs> review for anybody who wants to just like take a quick look, compare those sort of uh, compare and contrast those moments that Bill said, you know, landed because I, I definitely agree with that. Nice little plug to Pete's point. It reminds me of a quote that Martin Scorsese once said where he basically said that uh, the most personal is the most creative. Hmm. So when you draw from that personal place, you know, it conjures the most creativity in your work. And I think that's most evident in Tom King as well. Let's jump in issue 11. 
which is where Vision has decided that he needs to get some avenging done <laughs> for his son uh, by killing Victor Mancha, who is imprisoned. Uh, the Avengers are aware of this because of Agatha Harkness's uh, visions of the future, and they come to confront him. And it's very clear here in this issue just how powerful the Vision is. And this is something that we know as comic fans, but like you don't really see too much. Um, but Tom and, and Gabriel Walta and the team put that on full display here in this issue. Um, and you also see what's on full display is his his commitment to vengeance. He's he's willing to go so far as to incapacitate Scarlet Witch, yeah, uh, in order to get what he needs to get. And ultimately, vengeance is achieved, but not by him. In fact, it's achieved by his wife Virginia, who we've seen is the person primarily in the family who's willing to do whatever it takes to keep the family intact. And in this, in this case, she's doing this to keep vision intact Yeah, because she herself takes, uh, takes the pedal. She kills Sparky, rip Sparky. Jeez. The, the dog can't catch a break. He's dying here. He's dying in WandaVision. <laughs> yeah, like, dude, that was fucked up. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and she sees that if vision kills Victor Mancha, then it's over for him. He will right. go down a dark path. That tore me apart, that she sacrificed herself yet again, knowing what it would mean in order to save the family. Yeah. So did uh, so obviously this role was played out consistently by, by Virginia, by the matriarch. Obviously, it's supposed to be – it's supposed to evoke the family dynamic. Did that uh, – uh, did you guys feel any way about that necessarily, either positive or negatively, that it was her the one doing the dirty work, which maybe might be um, typical or expected, or, or there is an expectation maybe because she's a matriarch that she can and would go this far? Uh, to me, it felt like commentary on that. Right? Yeah, uh, to me, it felt like commentary on the fact that women are also, are often thrust into that role. Yeah. Um, and that it's kind of their responsibility to shoulder the emotional burden of keeping a family together and the emotional weight of um, their, you know, shitty, distant, toxic husband and, you know, um, kids who are struggling with the fact that they are living in a broken home. Like, that felt very intentional to me. Yeah. Yeah. I, well, I, I yeah. felt something similar was just curious like to what degree you guys maybe picked up on anything or, or felt the same way yeah i mean to me i think she's the most uh the most important character in the story um she's the driving force of the entire narrative and she's the character who experiences the most trauma um <laughs> and and like deals with the most uh while everybody else is doing their own thing and not thinking about her yeah. Yeah, I mean she she made the sacrifice play. You know, she knew this would she couldn't persist uh living on if she made this choice. She'd be destroyed. And she didn't want the rest of her family to have to go through that, so she took that on. It's awful. 
Uh, it, it is awful, but I, I, I really, you know, it put the, the icing on the cake in terms of how dark and, 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 you know, terrible this book is like, if they haven't gotten you yet, wait until Virginia, you know, kills Victor Mancha, then ultimately in the next issue kills herself. Yeah. And like, you, you see like the most genuine affection from vision towards her. Finally. <laughs> too little too late yeah right exactly but right like that speaks to the whole <laughs> it's everything like the whole thing vision. everything with vision in this entire run is too little too late mm. and um it's 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 interesting because we're talking about issue 11 and the whole thing starts off with it's like it's, you know it's vision's first memories when he was created by ultron and, and that whole dynamic where basically he's being created to, one he's told he'll be he'll have to live a half-life which uh has like a nuclear connotation attached to it too right because of like what happens after a nuclear bomb is detonated like the half-life afterwards that's what he's like here he's like he's like a bomb i also felt like that was a kind of connected to the the shakespeare thing too the idea that like yes i give half of you to myself but it's the whole of me and you know that whole thing like that you can't give half of yourself to a person you have to give the whole of yourself which is true of his relationship to his family and also just his experience because nothing was organically earned everything is like a half-life you know he's not fully immersed in what's happening and he goes on this crazy rampage and the way it all pays off in the last issue like issue 11 is the setup and issue 12 is the fall and it's a like devastating fall. It's a great build up to that moment. Yeah. Yeah, I was I was I remember my first read through I was frustrated that she decided to kill herself. Uh Virginia, I I I guess I couldn't like I I understood why, but I just didn't like it. I didn't want that mm. for her. Um now at 30 i get that that's just life (laughs) (laughs) you know like it's just it's just cruel sometimes and it is what it is and she experienced that yeah it is it is kind of funny how like i i was so struck by the craft of the book in 2016 whereas i think in 2021 i i definitely connected with it i think more emotionally because i'm a little bit closer um in in age and i guess lifestyle to to some of those things um that 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 did kind of strike a chord with me right that like essentially this book is is a story about people like just trying to be happy and trying to do their best and how difficult it is to do that uh, mm-hmm. uh best laid pa- plans of mice and men and all that <laughs> yeah right exactly like um cuz cuz the entire Take apart the inciting incident from Virginia, right? The actual inciting incident of this is Vision's desire to not be alone, right? And yeah. to love someone and be loved. That's good. That is good intentions. That's the definition of good intentions. And then and then the book ends and, you know, we talk about normalcy and life going on. You know, Viv very much is the uh, the character showing us that. By just, you know, picking up, going to school. Um, you know, she accepts that she's not normal, but she kind of is normal. 
You know, she went through some horrific stuff. Her mother's gone. Her brother is gone. Her uncle is gone. But got her dog back. On. Got her dog back. That's cool. Um, and then at the very, very end, <laughs> we see the vision is building a fa- his family again. <laughs> I, I like uh, I like the it's not the actual last line from him, but uh, the last thing he says to her before she flies off is I should have done better. Um, and I, I I kind of like I love that in the context of us seeing that that takeaway right is that not oh i should have done better it's like i'm gonna try again (laughs) yeah i got it this time yeah well that's i guess that's what separate again what separates him from uh from from humans and maybe it's not but I'll, i'll i'll unravel that on the one hand you know if if my whole family was just dead and i could just bring them back i probably would right like who wouldn't make that decision most of us can't choose that he can't it feels like that um, PMP thing again, right? Of that, right. like, oh, I'll try again, I'll try again until it works, you know? <laughs> exactly. But in re- but in real life, you know, people whose families, like, it just didn't work out, it didn't go well, how many have not had another kid at 40-something years old and tried to, you know, Mulligan. got a new wife or a new, you know, new husband or whatever it is, and they just build a new family and they try to do better next time? I mean... You know, statistically, second and third marriages don't fall apart as often as first marriages do. And, you know, I, I, I don't I can't ascribe a reason to it. But for whatever reason, like if you were the kid in that first failed marriage and you have a lot of issues associated with that, you know, your younger siblings, half siblings or whatever, you know, a lot of them are not going to deal with those same things that you did yeah. as an older person 10 years or whatever as your parent that you're living with figured out how to be married better so they were just older and more sure of who they were like there's so many factors right yeah uh, (laughs) um but yeah it's funny because uh this the end of this right like very much feels like it's building towards something else and i remember like after reading this i went and did some digging to see like what happened, like who, you know, where has Vivian gone and, you know, whatever. And I thought it was funny, like I read that there's this storyline later where uh, Vision thinks she's dead and he rebuilds her. And I was like, motherfucker, you never rebuilt Vin? (laughs) So I I have a theory and it might be a stretch, but because the, the last page ends on spring, spring is typically like, newness freshness sure and outside of him trying to bring her back he's also singing row 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 your boat which at no point did wanda sing she never necessarily played the piano and and at least in in what we've been shown sure so uh my understanding the dogs there also right he's bringing back the parts that were new in his life and rather than we would be reconstructing her based off of Wanda would be reconstructing her based off of the things that she experienced as a person up uh, in the point where she was actually brought to life, sure. not sure. the things prior. Um, so the combination of you know the spring and the song um, might be a stretch, but that was like sort of where I was kind of getting what a next step would be for vision considering he's trying to rebuild something. Mm. To, to your point, Phil, on, on like a second marriage, right? Like he's trying to rebuild this this life via a new person, essentially. 
Yeah. So but, let me. Sorry. Ahead, uh, I want to interject actually with a listener question that we got. Ooh, from nicely timed. Thank you. So Carlos <laughs> underscore O one. Uh, we 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 asked for questions uh, because we're gonna do this, and he wrote in and he said. Do you think Vision recreating his family at the end implies he didn't learn anything throughout the whole book, plans to try to build a better family, or perhaps something else? So Marco already answered a portion of that with his own theory. Does anybody else have any uh, anything they want to throw out to answer that? Well, the element that is interesting is the, our closing panel where he says life is but a dream. There's a surreality to that quality mm-hmm. where it's like none of this matters. It's just and I guess it, it goes to your point, Sean, where you said, you know, if your family died and you could bring him back, you would, because there are no consequences. You can do whatever you want. And certainly that's what seems like Vision's doing. And that's like a dream, right? In your dreams, there are no consequences, really. You know, you can relive the best memories of your life. There's people out there who dedicate their entire life to being able to master lucid dreaming so they can live in happiness in their own dreams damn and i think too sorry no i think was, too yeah. it, it, it's a it's a, a a nice sort of underline that like it's not necessarily a happy ending in the in the way that like vision is still the same he's still this this computer that is trying to do the next algorithm you know he's trying to you know he's trying to the to pee the np or whatever the fuck yeah you know and that (laughs) you know that sort of goes into the um the the back into the 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 madness that is you know his creep factor through this this whole series but goes back to uh the the violence in his blood you know the Ultron. You know, to me, both times I've read this, that it it feels like this could be leading into you know, oh, Vision's gonna make a robot army or you know some shit like that, right? Like he's he's lost it finally. Mm. Okay. You know what I mean? Like, like yeah. obviously I don't know he's gonna build a robot army, but like he's you know there something has snapped and he's 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 lost something that has you know has 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 been held together by what he was doing and now he's going to recreate it and it's going to be different but it's going to be worse and that's like the next step it's interesting because like i definitely could see that reading because i do feel like this reads kind of sinisterly yeah you know like it's presented in a way that does feel off but like I don't know. I don't. I don't really take it that way because I feel like, um, you know, Sean called out how like the takeaway for Viv, right, is that it's like, hey, like all this shit happened, and that's kind of just life, and I've got to go to school, and like that's very human. That's like that's life, right? It's like you just put one foot in front of the other, and you pick up and try again the next day, and like that's all any of us can do. Um, whereas like Vision is like not he's not human and he's less human than she is. And like, I think it speaks to the duality of vision as a, as a being in that he has this, this deep desire to be human, but he is not human. He does not have the same limitations that we do. 
He does not process emotion and information in the same way, way, way that we do. And no matter how much he empathizes with humanity and, and wants to strive towards being, you know, more alive than machine, uh, there are certain things that are options to him that are going to impact his emotion and his worldview that it's not fair to judge him the same way we would judge a human character. So to say that like he's learned nothing, no, I think he's he's gotten quite a bit of actionable data uh, over these last twelve issues. And to me, it's it's the the thing that I think it was uh, Kale said where it is like the chasing of the algorithm. But I think for me, it's not necessarily with like a sinister or like he snapped kind of angle. Just a like that's his nature, right? Like that's the nature of the vision. Um, sure is to keep chasing and trying to grow and change and evolve. Well, two things to that. One, is that not humanity is to change, to grow yeah. and to evolve, to yeah. endlessly pursue the things that may seem uh, ultimately unachievable, but we still pursue them anyway. Like not just as individuals, but as a species. But to your other point, Pete, the thing that makes vision not human most in this is, uh, is from the get go. He's playing God. Right, so he's creating life in a way that a god would. He's you know, and at the end he starts over again. This is like a cyclical story that's stuck on repeat. Like you could see all the events of the story repeating itself from beginning to end, with only minor changes. So I referenced earlier the letters page in the back of the the book. One of the people wrote in to suggest that Vision was very similar his story to Sisyphus. Um, yeah, he's and, pushing the boulder up the hill. Exactly. And obviously that character is doomed to have to do that for eternity. That's this. And so Vision's boulder is his chase for humanity. And so every time that he has an experience like this or whatever... He's learning more and more how he can push towards humanity. The tragedy is that it will probably never work, and that's yeah. that's comics, right? But um, to, so to answer Carlos's question, I answer it through that. I say uh, Vision learned a lot, and I think that's why he's doing it because he has to push that boulder. He has to try to be human, and for him, having a family is as representative of being human as anything else. And so he must do this. Yeah, and I mean, he's, he's chasing that that high of the times that he's felt alive, you know? And and you, you spoke to that earlier, right? That, that pure, passionate love, like the acceptance of his adopted family, all those things that he had that made him feel human that he lost. And that's 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 the most human thing of all is trying to pursue things that make us feel alive, and yes. and trying to rebuild things that we lost and can never reclaim. Yeah. Um, you know that it's funny because I don't think a lot of people think of of this in this way because of nostalgia bait, right? But like the the actual concept of nostalgia is yeah. that it is supposed to be melancholy. Is that one of the key feelings of nostalgia is a, a fondness for a past, the past and pain that you can never go back to it. That is the real definition of nostalgia. And I think that is a huge driving force in Vision's life is nostalgia for his relationship with Wanda, 
nostalgia for uh, a, a feeling of belonging and acceptance. You know, I thought this book made me feel uh, enough of an existential, existential crisis than this podcast happened. And it's like, oh, now I'm going through a double existential crisis. So, sorry. No <laughs> oh my God, this book has thrown me into a tizzy. But, it's good. Um, it's the good shit, I, man. I want to answer Carlos' the second question. And then I actually want to get back to something that Kale mentioned a, a long time ago now, where he said that, uh, you know, he didn't feel as strongly about this book and I want to know why. So let's get to Carlos's question real quick. So he said, and also, who do you feel out of every member of the Vision family is the most human? He said, I feel like the daughter is because of what she says at the end. So let's quickly answer that. Uh, yeah, I, I definitely agree with that. I think she, she, she is the only character who really recognizes her own growth, I think, because she says, you know, I'm not normal but I'm late on starting to be. And I think that to what's been pervasive, like a pervasive theme throughout the whole book is like normalcy is meaningless because we are the own arbiters of what our own normal might be. And her normal is going to be, well, her dad's an Avenger, her, she's going to high school. She's maybe at some point going to meet another person, have a friend, whatever, you know, like there's such a possibility that her normal is to exist as best as she can. Whereas somebody like Vision, we stated already, isn't trying to achieve that. He's trying to achieve some preconceived notion of what will be his his normal because he previously had that normal. Um, and Virginia was from the get-go, I think, really f- uh, fractured um, or eventually was fractured to the point where she just like had a had a meltdown. Um, and Vin, uh, I, I guess, I, I guess for Vin, maybe his character wasn't explored as, as, as deeply, but I think there's growth with, um, with Viv. Yeah, I, I would think, agree. Yeah, I think to that point, I think Viv has the most human arc Yeah, in that she's allowed to continue to grow. But I, I, I think sort of in the more negative way, I think, uh, Virginia is also the most human yes. because she, tries to keep the family together and does whatever she uh, needs to to make that happen in the name of just trying to belong um, and um, it it eventually you know leads to leads to her own demise Barky <laughs> hell yeah <laughs> Wolf. Um, honestly I think all of the characters that aren't vision have an exceptional amount of humanity Including um, uh, his brother, the runaway. Ben. Ben. Yeah. Oh, Victor. Yeah. Victor. Yeah. I think that uh, they all represent the part of humanity that they're supposed to, and yeah. so in that way, they're all the most human. Uh, I include Vision because I think that the that his actions in this book are very human. I agree. Um, wanting to play God. You know, what's the difference between him creating his family and someone setting out to plan a family? The difference is the birth. You know, he can't inseminate a, a, a woman, um, but he can create. So he built a woman. <laughs> yeah. Um, and it's it's horrifically robotic and not human, but the desires are human. Yeah. Uh, his neglect of his family, unfortunately, also, also human. human. 
um, every aspect of him, the things he does are human. And his, so his yeah. pursuit of the things that made him happy in the past is very human. Yep. Everyone personifies certain human elements, uh, but both Virginia and Vision, uh, there's there's uh, there's a disconnect between, you know, certain human things in their synthetic kind of brains that go awry. But I mean, a lot of what they do is inherently very human. Yeah, yeah. We we we've talked we've talked about the art. I want to spend a few minutes before because we, we we're gonna close out here shortly, but. And I, I didn't forget about you, Kale, but um, I do I do want to spend a few minutes than we have a few more minutes than we have on the art because it is it is tremendous. Uh, Gabriel Hernandez Walter did such a brilliant job of bringing these uh, synthesoid characters to life in this series, and it's not just him; it really is the entire team. Um, the 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 colors are tremendous. Jordi Belair Jordy does Belair such a good job. Oh my master. god, yeah. total and master! This, this may have been the first time that I was aware of Jordi Belair's colors because sure. I probably had seen her work before, but this is probably the first time I was like, okay, that's who this is. And yeah. then the other person who deserves a lot of praise here that we haven't uh, yet mentioned is Clayton Cowles, who to this day is probably the greatest letterer in comics my favorite personally anyways um so just your your thoughts on the art and and just how how great it all is if you feel that way yeah i mean i, th- I think the art it's it's extremely strong like we've really we've talked about the script a lot um and the strength of it i think this is one of those those books that is the classic example right that the best comics are a marriage of a great script and work from a great artist um, because a lot of the the important narrative work is done not through dialogue, but through moments that are crafted and moods that are evoked, um, yeah. and that's all the art, right? Um, you know, we talked about how strong that first issue is at establishing the tone of the book. I think something that I applaud the book for is not like breaking or compromising on that tone, um, because that's something I think sometimes you do see series struggle with. Where like it can establish a strong tone, but you have kind of that that glide away from it, you know, and like it has to kind of reassess or readjust. And like this this book has a again, excuse the pun, a clear vision that it delivers on in every issue. Um, and so much of that is is through very very strong art and and like conveying character emotion very clearly and strongly. Do you think Vincent D'Onofrio would like this book? I think he would. You'd appreciate no, keep it. Keep that shit to yourself. <laughs> the, yeah. the the colors, I think, because they it, we're in the fall, so while the fall is typically a little bit colder, you know, maybe you might associate with a bleakness. I think the colors of the oranges and the 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 more the oranges, the browns, the pinks, the reds, it brings a warmth to it that really like feels like it gives the book life. And I think it's interesting because, you know, the falls typically not associated with a warmness. Um, and it, it helps to transition you into what the family is supposed to feel like, but it's ironic because they're technically supposed to be cold and emotionless. They don't have, they don't bounce off the same way as the colors would necessarily, but they are red. They are in an environment that is orange. They are in an environment that, brings that warmth 
Yeah, I I love this series visually. I think it's I think it's brilliant. Frankly, I'm not sure that this book would be as celebrated as it is if it wasn't for this exact specific team. Because you could point to any page and it's just like, wow, this is this is brilliant. Um one of the pages where I first noticed that I felt that way was actually a, a moment that we didn't even speak about, but it's when uh, Agatha Harkness kills the cat. Yes. Oh yeah. Yes. Uh, just the 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 way that that's in contrast, like the vision story to that point is so um, you know colorful. Everybody's got red and green somewhere in their body. Um, and, and everything is, is for the most part bright, except when it's not. And those moments stand out. But here there's just no, it's just, it's just kind of black and white, except for the red. And it stands out so, uh, so starkly. If you think about WandaVision, WandaVision uses mm-hmm. a similar um, tactic yeah. with red uh, in the first, the first episode where it's black and white. Right. Um, first two. First two, yes. Uh, very, very similar thing there. And I just really love that particular scene. Um, and then, of course, how it's echoed again when uh, Virginia kills Sparky. But I, I love the shadows in this book. Shadows, I think, are used very well. Darkness in general is used very well. Yes. Um, I want to yes, make a okay. reference to that, Sean. The issue where uh, they're you know talking about when when Victor's in isolation and he, when every time he's called upon, like yes. just the shade, like he's in dark, but his yellow sweater or his yellow, yeah, his yellow sweater is vibrantly showing, like that's a great use of lighting. Like it's this weird teal, like his skin and hair blends in with the background. And it kind of like, like it's like there's like empty space behind him, except for his yellow sweater is the only thing that pops, but every, it, it really, the coloring and the spacing of the panels really displays the isolation he's going through. Like art here really displays what characters are going through. You, uh, Sean brought up the the moment in three with Agatha, um, mm-hmm. and it, and I it I was reminded of the scene where um where they have sex, and it's similar, right? Where like the uh. the first the first scene you see of them in the bedroom, it's like Vision contextualizing the room, and then there's like these close ups on his body and his face, right? And then she comes out of a lit bathroom, and then when it actually gets to them finally coming together, the background is obscured. And like, like it's in, a, it's more dark and it feels more intimate, you know? So it's like, it, it's done in very subtle ways too, where like shadows or darkness will be used to obscure a background, but not remove a background. And it, it like really recontextualizes how you feel in certain moments or how the subjects feel contextualized to the rest of like where they are, you know? The, the use of hatching for the shading, I think is I, I love hatching and and like the contextualize that for listeners who don't know yeah yeah so like if you look on pretty much any page if you look at at um i'm using page right now what is this page eight of the last issue for example where he's in the he's in the door frame visions and standing in the door frame and you have uh the little like balcony uh, and it's casting a shadow if you look at it all that really is is uh what Walter's doing is he there's there's a difference in color right where the shadow part is darker but to accentuate how overcast he wants the shadow to to be he just draws straight lines down there's no actual like continuation of black it's just lines and what dictates how thick the shadow is is how close the lines are together 
And you can mm. see that also in, what is this? If you go to page uh, 15, the last panel on page 15, if you look at right at the at the foot of the, the sofa, you're going to see that what actually dictates the thickness of the shade is just how close those single lines are to each other where, where the plant and the um, and the sofa meet. That's all that dictates the additional like feeling of the shadow outside of just the color. So hatching fucking rules, dude. <laughs> <laughs> right way to punctuate, my man. Uh, I found one other example I wanted to call out, uh, which is uh, in issue four when Vin and Viv come back to school. Um, all of the other kids are kind of have this like opaque, like gray or black kind of layer over them, where like all the colors are kind of muted by this this darkness and this shadow. Um, to show their isolation. And then when the kid, uh, CK, who comes and talks to Viv and it's the conversation she replays, it immediately is brighter. Um, and then even when they're walking outside in the rain, uh, it's lighter there than it was inside the school when they had that sense of isolation and, and fear, you know? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think you could probably do a whole other book club about the art in each issue and i think that's how that's how deep it is um this book is a modern classic and i think it's just as much because of the story that's being told through the art as it is with what's happening verbally um and you know my barometer is always if i take the words out can you still feel this book? Yeah. If you can't read it, can you still feel it? And I think this is a book that you feel just as much with the art as you do with the words. And um, that's a rare feat. It's, it's very hard to accomplish that, especially for a book that's trying to evoke as many complex emotions as this one is. So big uh, success. Um. Sean, I don't know if we're, we're like done with the art piece. Uh, um, I would like to oh, transition. Yeah yeah. yeah, yeah. I wanted to get into because Kale said that you know he didn't love it this time around or what have you. So why don't you speak to that, Kale? <clears throat> yeah. So it wasn't that um, you know the main story didn't work. You know the parts with Vision and his family and and you know everything that goes around that really worked for me the part that frustrated me was the avengers parts um and and the parts where you know it was always it was it was like uh vision's gonna raise the world uh, to me that felt like a false a false sense of stakes because mm. this this book is asking you to you know, sit and be with Vision and his family. His so thereby the stakes being he and his family and the loss of his family are the stakes. So the Avengers to me are this amorphous extra thing that creates this 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 I don't know this false. <sighs> I had false sense of stakes, you know, it's, um, <clears throat> it, it, it feels forced to me. 
I, I understand the connections and I understand, you know, bringing in uh, Victor. I think that all works, but I think there's a way to do this story without that, that could make it stronger. It feels to me, especially with like, I think it's issue eight where you have Iron Man, Thor and Captain America's boots on the cover. <clears throat> it feels to me like the, um, the issue of uh, Daredevil, Born Again, uh, Born Again, yeah, where Captain America and the Avengers come in, uh, and something has to happen because you know a character can't live without somebody else showing up. It just doesn't hmm. like as a as a whole, the piece works. And for me, it's like you know, it's like a eight out of ten. But if you took that out and like just retooled that one thing, it could really, really, really work. It's interesting to me that you say that because like I don't – I guess I don't see that because I feel like it's very much contextualized in the fact that like Vision's identity outside of his family is being a member of the Avengers and that it is those things that then become at odds. And that's like that's the source of conflict for him internally. Um, but yeah, I mean, obviously, you know, I, I guess it's, but he's not going to, you know, the threat isn't, he's going to destroy the Avengers. He's going to destroy the world. Sure. Yeah. You know? And like, I don't, I don't mind the bits where he's like off fighting with the Avengers or, or like Tony Stark has to quickly help him with the thing. His day job. Yeah. It's more the implication that like, he's going to destroy the entire world over it. Yeah, you know, the, the promise of this threat, but it, it could have just been boiled down to the promise of him like affecting his relationships further, maybe with, with the Avengers, versus... or even like just you know, yeah, like being seen as a criminal, being turned off, all those kinds sure. of things. Yeah, sure. Yeah, I think the idea was was that if if he's allowed, this was it. This was the fulfillment of the Ultron promise. Sure, and so if. He can't be stopped from killing Victor Mancha. Then there's no difference between him and Ultron. And so he has to be stopped. He cannot be allowed to get to get the vengeance that he wants to get because then he's no different than his father. And I feel like there had to be that piece because of what I talked about earlier with the sins of the father. Mm -hmm. um if you don't have that if that's not a part of the story uh then i feel like it doesn't it doesn't it doesn't fulfill this it, it doesn't fulfill this image i'm holding up the the family tree it doesn't fulfill the family tree if you don't connect vision with ultron in that way ultimately i and i do agree with that but Again, like the Avengers aren't in that picture. Like Hank Pym is, and Ultron is, uh, even Wonder Man and Scarlet Witch are. But uh, why is Captain America in the picture? Why is Thor there? It just doesn't like, you know, those things, the Avengers, like while they're related to Vision, they're not related to what's happening here. I, 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 I think it's... Uh... I like the sins of the father analogy. I, I think, you know, vision was created 
destroy for Ultron. And like that prophecy, it's funny because in in trying to create a family in his pursuit of in pursuit of happiness, he almost inadvertently fulfilled his you know agenda for being constructed in the first place, which would have been destroy, like raising the world, so to speak. Well, his his original stated purpose was to destroy specifically the Avengers, right? Yeah. So I think that's the other thing that kind of makes that connection make sense in my yeah. mind. Hmm. It, it is interesting though, because the one the one way in which I do agree with Kale is that that particular issue where he fights the Avengers, uh, I thought that that's that was the only time where I didn't think that the art was particularly great. Um, I didn't. I I felt like Walter style um, it didn't it didn't translate as well into the action sequences I thought things looked a little flat um, and this is not an action heavy book so it didn't really come up there were there are the, the action prior to that is momentary yes yeah. the big sequence of Grim Reaper cutting Viv it's you know those big one one shot moments versus this actual action piece that goes across panels, and that part I didn't love visually. I, I remember feeling like um, the, less so even like visually, but I guess more just like in the pacing of the moments that it, it felt weird to me because it was very much like. Okay, first I hit Tony, and then the next person comes and I hit them, and then I hit the two Spider-Mans, and it's like, why didn't they all just attack them at once? You know, like, it's it's that kind of, like, you have to suspend your disbelief that, like, they couldn't take him out, right? Or that, like, they wouldn't have some kind of coordinated attack plan with all of, because he even says, right, call everyone, and when I say everyone, I mean everyone, and it's clearly not everyone. It's a few Avengers and, like, some teenage superheroes and okay, like great, like bro. Century was busy. That well, should have got his ass fucking to get over there because this is he was, serious. He <laughs> yeah, he's busy being dead. Resurrect him, whatever. <laughs> fucking, they brought the dog back. Wrecked him. Wrecked him. Damn near killed him. Da, 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 da. So. I think that this is a perfectly good place for us to close out the conversation on this series. And I want to do it by asking you guys one final question, which is what do you think the legacy of this series is as it relates to the character vision, as it relates to Tom and as it relates to just the book itself? WandaVision. (laughs) um i mean i think i i think you're right to say that it's a modern classic i think um i think it will probably be remembered as such i think if you were to make a list of what were the you know 25 50 whatever best books of this decade civil war ii yeah (laughs) civil war ii this would be on that list um that shit comes up on this podcast it's <laughs> gotta no sell it just keep just like viv you just gotta keep going forward man i gotta get to school uh so yeah I, I think it will be remembered as such um i think obviously there there is uh a real risk of you know um tom king's legacy potentially not living up to what the promise of his early career uh looked like but i don't think that that actually matters that much 
um, because I think even with creators who um, are kind of like a punchline now or who have that kind of uh, tarnished legacy because they put out a, a volume of work that didn't live up to the best stuff that they've done, like look at like a Bendis, right? Like that people don't retroactively say ultimate Spider-Man is bad. Right. Um, I don't think that like any other thing that could come with Tom's legacy tarnishes the quality of this book and the moment that it was in comics at the time. Uh, As far as for vision as a character, I think it's clearly like one of the defining works because there aren't that many and it was a standout work and it has clearly influenced the the popular culture's interpretation of the character which um you know whether you like that that's the thing or not that is a reality right um so yeah i mean to say that tom left his mark on vision i think is probably an understatement yeah uh, i would agree with that that he, this is definitely a piece of his legacy along with Oh, Mega Man and uh, Sheriff Babylon. Like that's like the the trilogy that I feel like he's best known for, which launched him into his career and ultimately into Heroes in Crisis. Um, Why would and... you bring that up? <laughs> you son of a bitch. <laughs> he knew what he said. He knew what he was doing. And um, <laughs> at, you know, his career sort of mimics um, Phil's arc on the show. You know, like started out hot, sputtered out. Damn. No, no, but in all seriousness, um, I, 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 I think he still has stories left. I think, interestingly enough, Rorschach is developing in a in a certain way that I like. I think that Strange Adventures definitely is it as well. So, I, I think this was maybe he was he was hungry. He was given an obscure character, you know, the the sort of vertical vertigo sort of storytelling that makes and breaks characters as well as certain creators and i think it's going to continue to influence a lot because of i mean to to everything we examined in this podcast like it it has all of those elements that i think will continue to inform the vision moving forward as a character i don't know to what extent it already has or hasn't Uh, i don't and, and that's the other thing is I don't necessarily continue to read any other vision stories because I don't think they are that are, are published, but this is enough where, you know, it makes you potentially want to go back. And I think that because of the history that's involved, I think that that's also a, a good indicator for like how, how well done this book might be and, and how interesting you can make a character. Sans Phil. I don't know what the legacy is going to be it's really hard to project those kinds of things in general you know like certainly in the moment when it came out you know maybe the biggest critical critically the most critically acclaimed book of its time um and it certainly left an indelible mark on tom king's career in a positive way i don't know how we're going to remember it in 10 or 20 years though just because yeah, you can't predict those kinds of things. Uh, you would think it would have a similar impact as like a Swamp Thing or an Animal Man, but who's to say? Uh, and as for, as for Tom King as a writer, it might be one of those, it, this might be his magnum opus, you know? I think this is certainly the most celebrated of his works. It's the most public 
of, of the three that are the, you know beloved. Uh, I think it's my favorite, yeah. And whether that legacy for Tom is like, ah, this is the guy who, like Phil, <laughs> petered out on the show, or is able to like Phil pick it back up in the next Hundo. <laughs> who's this like again who's to say we're, we're in real time right now with these with this kind of question so it's hard mm-hmm. to really really kind of look into our hourglass and predict the future for better or worse uh this series didn't really end up impacting anything at marvel too much um the the only thing that you would need to know that that reading this book would tell you that you wouldn't otherwise know is that uh why Viv is, is is a thing, why she's a character. Yeah. Um, that's really it. And in some ways that's good because nothing could tarnish the legacy of this book. But in some ways, you know, maybe it, it hurts it because there's nothing tethering it to Marvel's continuity. Yeah. Um, Viv was like a more relevant character than Right. Yeah. Uh interestingly, Tom King does mention in the letters page that some of the inspiration for this series was sitcom television. So there you go. Uh, It all comes full circle, baby. Right? (laughs) So uh, as we close out here, would you recommend the series? And then we'll be done. Uh, For sure. This is like one of those, hey, this is is one of those that's good for intro readers because it doesn't bog you down with too much history. And any of the history that it has is contextualized in the story and explained. And so for me, as somebody, when I first read it, who had no idea who the vision was, his relationships with certain characters, I think it all gets explained very well and is great for an intro read. And I'd probably give this like 8.59. Okay. Yeah, I would say I echo Marco's sentiments there. Um, It's benefited by the fact that it it is um, history light and it's contextualized, but also a lot of the major players are new characters, so that also helps. Mm. Um, I think it's very new reader friendly. Uh, but I also think that if you're a seasoned comic book reader, um, that it is uh, one of those books that you should go out of your way to read if you haven't. Because if you've read a lot of comics, um, really good ones are special and stand out. And I do think this is is one of those. Um, I think it's definitely safe to say that it's a modern classic and, and probably um, Tom King's best work to date, maybe ever, you know, um, because it, I think it is something special. And... Uh, I I was almost nervous to go back to it because of how fond a, a memory I had of, of our read of it at the time. And you always worry when you go back to things of like how they're going to age. And um, while there were definitely things I was critical of this time that I'm, I probably wasn't in 2016, um, I, I actually found more to appreciate in it um, now than than I thought I would. Um, so I'm, I'm glad to see that it was a work that I felt like grew with me. Um, so yeah, I would definitely recommend it. I'd recommend it to any reader. I really would. I also was afraid to revisit it. I've, I've, I found since 2016, 2017, I've really not wanted to dwell in the realm of just kind of this postmodernist kind of thread. Yeah. That is so prevalent in media and maybe that's the pandemic. But I've certainly had more of an appetite for like an escapist type media in general. So I was worried I just frankly wouldn't appreciate it, whether it was good or not. 
And I, I found that my experience this time, uh, it, hit, it just hit in a, a hit emotional chords, vulnerable kind of, uh, uh, it made me feel vulnerable in ways. And it was, it was excellent. It really was. Um, but like you can see why Tom is who he is for better or worse. Uh, it's an excellent book. I would recommend it to, I, I, I think this is really accessible. I, I, I would recommend it to pretty much anyone uh, that has a passing interest in comic books or, or just media in general. Um, this is a great book. I'm glad we finally did a book club on it. Go ahead, Gil. Yeah, uh, I echo everything that's been said. I think uh, <clears throat> great book, modern classic, like they say, great introduction to the character. And there's a great time for it. You know, I think uh, uh, between, you know, uh, Endgame and WandaVision, there's never been a, a better time for the character. Um, and so, you know, for anyone who's curious, I would absolutely recommend this book. Agreed. Uh, it's one of my favorite stories. I can't wait to read it again one day. And uh, I really hope that you guys who are listening enjoyed our conversation about it. Um, obviously, it's an important work to varying degrees for each of us. And so sharing these kinds of um, book clubs with you where we're talking about a book that we really, really care about is always special. And so we hope you appreciated it. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, write in, let us know your thoughts about Vision if you have any to share with us. Uh, and of course, go ahead and listen to our weekly podcast, The Comics Pals. If you are not already a listener, and if you would be so kind, please do subscribe, like us on all platforms, leave us comments, write to us at thecomicspals at gmail.com. And we will see you guys next time on the next book club episode. Thank you for listening. Take care, guys. See you next time.